Come on, surely you can do better than that. Good morning. Hey, we want to welcome you to Capital City. My name is John Sutphin. I'm one of the ministers here at the church, and we're just thrilled to have you joining us for worship today. You could have been a lot of other places, uh, but we're glad that you chose to be here with us today, especially if you're a guest. We extend a very special welcome to you. We're glad you took time to come and join us on this day of worship. Uh, maybe on the chair back there in front of you is a sort of a red-colored card that says connect across the top, especially if you're a guest. We'd love for you just to to, to take one of those cards, put your name, put your email address on there, maybe your cell phone number. We'd just like to share with you about the ministries that are taking place here under God's direction. And you can drop those in the offering boxes a little later in the service, or you can drop those off at the Welcome Center on your way out this morning. Again, we just want to be able to share with you some information about our church and about the ministries that God is leading us to here at Capital City, and we'd just love to have your information. Uh, maybe you've been here for a long time. Maybe your email has changed. Maybe your cell phone number's changed. If you could up, if you could help us out by putting that on there, again, dropping those off, that way we can update your information uh, as well. And we have some great things coming up uh, over the next week or so that I want to share with you. Uh, last week, I think we, we mentioned you about next weekend, the 22nd through the 24th. We're calling it our weekend of welcome. It's our wow weekend, and we've got events planned all weekend long that we hope that you're going to come and be a part of. So on Friday night, which will be the, the 22nd, next Friday night out at the party shed, excuse me, uh, we're going to have sort of a family movie night. Uh, so we invite you to come out at 7 o'clock. We'll have popcorn. We'll have drinks. I think they even said something about cotton candy. And then we're going to be showing the, uh, the Super Mario movie next Friday night at 7.30. So come out and join us for that. Uh, invite somebody to come with you, okay? Bring a friend. Bring a family member. Bring a coworker. Also on Saturday, a big football game next Saturday as UK finally kicks off its SEC season as they'll be playing Vandy. Of course, it's down at Vanderbilt. So unless you're going to Vanderbilt to tailgate, guess what? Come here and tailgate with us. Okay, the game is at noon. So we'll be starting out again out at the party shed somewhere around 11, 11, 15. Uh, we'll have hot dogs. We'll have chips. We'll have drinks. We'll have cookies. But if you have a favorite tailgate snack, maybe you could bring that with you to share with everybody. So we invite you to come. We've got two big screen TVs that we'll be watching the game on out at the party shed next Saturday. Kickoff is at 12 o'clock, okay? So be sure that you get here on time. Come be a part of that fun and the excitement that we're going to have uh, watching the Wildcats play Vanderbilt next Saturday. Saturday evening, our middle school, high school students are having a bonfire out at Brad Gross's parents. So middle school, high school students, be sure you connect with Brad or Jessica, and they'll make sure you got directions to get there on Saturday evening for the bonfire at Brad's parents who live out off of Peaks Mill Road, okay? So keep that in mind. And then, of course, Sunday morning, we hope that you're going to invite somebody to come and be a part of our worship service with you that morning at 930 or 11 o'clock. Now, on the chair where you may be sitting or beside you is a card that we're hoping you'll take this morning and use that as an opportunity to invite somebody to come and be a part of what we're going to experience next weekend with our weekend of welcome, okay? So that's Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning services. And during our Sunday morning services, we're going to have a Life Group Connections event that will take place at 9.30 and 11. So you can, you can catch worship one service, catch the Life Group Connection event the next service, or vice versa. And that's for those of you who may be wanting to get involved in a life group, wanting to find out how you can get connected into different groups that we have here at the church. That'll take place next Sunday morning during the worship services, okay? So you've got an opportunity to find out more about our life groups and our connections event that are going to be taking place. So again, it's a big weekend that we've got planned. We hope that you're going to help us out by being here and then bringing somebody to come and share with us that weekend as well, okay? 
So this morning, we want to do a little fun, interactive as we get started here. You know, I, I'm not a big movie buff. I'm not a big song person either, but I know a lot of people, if you just like throw a, a, a line from a movie or a song lyric out there to them, I mean, they know it just like that, right? So like, you know, like, so, I, so this morning I was thinking, what are some of my favorite uh, movie lines? I'm not a big, don't remember song lyrics too well, but if I threw out to you, I'm your Huckleberry, what's that come from? Tombstone. You don't answer. You've already heard this. <sighs> Band members, I tell you what. Okay. Uh, what if you What if you heard you can't handle the truth? A few good men, right? See, I, I, you've got to go way back with me. Some of you younger people aren't going to know this. What about this? Is one of my favorite of all time. Here's Johnny. The Shining. What? Is, how about that? So, so this morning we've got a little thing. It was It was interesting. Uh, we've got a little thing that we want to do this morning. It's. Uh, how well do you know the Book of Lamentations or Taylor Swift lyrics? Okay, and it was funny when I came in this morning on, on the uh, on our little nudge table out there was this coffee. Uh, what do they call these? Um, a coaster, coaster. Yeah, and it's got Taylor Swift written on it, and it's got all these words. Lover. Apparently, that's one of her songs, which I have no clue about. But I thought, how ironic is that? This is laying out there in the lobby this morning, and we're going to play this game called Lamentations or Taylor Swift lyrics. So, so here's what we're going to do. So, give me just a little bit more light, if you would, Vern. And so, uh, Lakin, let's start with you. Here we go. Stand up here with me this morning. Okay. So we're going to see how well do you is it the Book of Lamentations or is this a Taylor Swift? Lyric, okay? So, every love I've known was a failure. Lamentations or Taylor Swift lyric? Um, Taylor Swift. She says it's Taylor Swift. Is she right? Hey, there we go. Ready for it. Let's see. Let's go back. Oh, come on, Jared. No, Jared. Come on, Jared. Stand up here, Jared. Come on, Jared. We're going to check you out, man. Come on. Here we go. Is this, is this, are you a Swifty? Are you a Swifty dad? I was a Swifty dad 12 years ago when she first came out. Thank God I got away from that nonsense. So here we go. Taylor Swift lyric or a verse from Lamentations. He has weighed me down with chains. You know, she talks a lot about ex-boyfriends in a lot of her songs. So Lamentations or Taylor Swift lyric. I should know this, but I honestly don't. So we're going to say Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, he says. Oh, Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 7. Okay, Mr. Dunn, here we go. Your turn. Come on here, buddy. This crowd keeps getting older as I go back. I'm going to have to swing sides, aren't I? Okay, here we go. You can, you can even use your wife if you want to on this one, okay? So is this Lamentations or is this a Taylor Swift lyric? All my flowers grow back as thorns. I would say Lamentations. He's going Lamentations. Oh, no. Hey, at least you don't know Taylor Swift lyrics. There we go. We're going to go with that one for sure. Um, hey, let's put the big guy on the spot this morning. What do you guys think? Okay, Doc. Here we go. Come on. So, here we go. Who's Taylor Swift? Uh, I, thought she, I thought I heard her playing in your office this morning. Okay. Taylor Swift or Lamentations? All the liars are calling me one. It's got to be Taylor Swift. I don't have a clue. He's going with Taylor Swift. There we go. Call it what you want. So, Morgan has apparently had an influence on him this morning. But isn't it wild how sometimes we know movie lines, we know movie titles, we know song lyrics, we know song titles, and yet sometimes we don't quite know God's word. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, but don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. We're in this series called Listen, 
And the only way we can listen is by being in God's word. And Ben's going to break that down for us a little bit more as we continue in our service today. But let's stand and worship this God we love this morning.
know that you will never fail us. Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ, the foundation that we can live our life on, that you want a, a relationship with us that's so strong that you sent your only son, Jesus Christ, so that we can have a relationship with you. Father, we want to live with you. We want to live for you. We want to do it your way. Teach us in the work of Jesus Christ, our firm foundation, the rock on which we stand. It's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat? Last week, Doc started a sermon series called Listen, and he talked about all the ways that we don't hear, all the reasons, all the excuses why we don't hear. And he talked about noise-canceling headphones, and he talked about earwax issues. You guys remember that? There were pictures. I heard you guys groan, right? It was awful. But at the end of it all, at the end of it all, it wasn't so much all the excuses as to why we don't hear. I think at the end of it all, the lesson, the, the takeaway was that really the, the issue we have is we don't want to listen. But there's something within each of us that we just don't really even want 
to listen. There's something that causes us to just, I, I don't know, a fixation on ourselves, I'm not sure what it is, but we just don't want to listen, right? We don't want to hear what other people are saying. It's interesting to me because there's a, there's a thing that I do with couples who are getting ready to be married. Before their marriage, we do some counseling things. And we try to walk through ways in which they can make their marriage a better relationship, okay? And we talk, I, I spend a lot of time talking about communication, okay? I think that that's the biggest thing that, that resolves problems, it, it prevents problems. Good communication is necessary for a good, healthy marriage. And I have this, like, outline of these different principles of good communication to share with this, you know, young couple before they're getting married. And the very first principle for good communication is be a ready listener. And it's counterintuitive. When we think about how we can be better communicators, we think about how we can say words better, how we can make sure that we're being more clear, we're being more careful with all the things that we're saying. And the problem is that the majority of the time when there's an issue in our communication, it's, up, it's, it's usually because of this. It's because we're not listening. That we're not a ready listener. We're not actually listening to what's being said to us. The Bible backs up these ideas. In Proverbs 18, it says, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. I love that word folly because we don't get to use it enough, all right? It's a fun one. It just means foolish. I mean, what he's really saying is, is that he who answers before listening, the person who talks before hearing what the other person has said is stupid. It's dumb. It doesn't make sense. You're a fool if you communicate like that. James 1.19, he says it this way. He says, my dear brothers, take note of this, all right? Anytime you read something like that in the Bible, that should kind of bring your attention and like, ooh, he's about to say something. That's really important, okay? And so then he says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, which is fascinating to me because we're the opposite. We're really quick to be angry. We're really quick to speak, and we're very slow to listen. It just seems to be our natural inclination. And I love the fact that James writes this to other Jesus followers, he communicates to them, but he has something so big and important, he doesn't want them to miss it, so he has to pause and say, take note of this. Like this is, the, like, this is like if you're in class and the teacher says, hey, you're going to want to write this down. It's going to be on the test. Pay attention to this. Take note of this. It's, it's what he's doing to grab their attention, to make them listen. And then the message is, you should be better at listening. <laughs> I think it's fascinating, right? We struggle with this. The reality is I don't want to really listen to anybody, ever. Like, if I'm going to listen to you, it needs to fit my agenda. It needs to fit my time. It has to be convenient for me. We become professionals. Doc talked about this last, last week. We become professionals at blocking out noise. Even, like, the listening, like, there's this whole realm of, of how we block out things that we don't want to hear, we intentionally keep from either seeing them or hearing them. There's a, like this bank app thing that's on your phones probably where you can check your bank accounts and you know if there's less money in there than you wish there was, you just don't open it. <laughs> like I'm just not going to look at it. It's depressing. If I don't look at it, I can pretend I have more money than I really do. People don't go to doctors because they don't want to hear bad news. doesn't make sense, Right? You know there's people who don't go to church because they don't want to hear what God might have to say? We don't want to listen. I mean, what if you don't want to listen to God? What if that's your problem? What if you just don't even want to hear what God has to say? You see, I don't think that we're actually bad at hearing. I think the issue is that we don't want to listen. And if we're going to define listening, it has that hear component. Hearing is necessary for listening. 
when we're talking about this, but it's more than that. Listening is whenever you hear something, but then when you respond appropriately. That's listening, right? If you're a parent and you have kids and you tell them something, you give them some sort of instructions, and then they don't do it, all right, because they're kids, okay? So they don't do it. They don't pay attention. They don't do what you said. And then later you're talking to your friend about how awful your children are. If you're a kid in the room, you just need to know this happens, okay? And so we're talking about how awful you are, and what we say is, my kid doesn't listen, right? The word isn't they don't obey. The word isn't that they, that they can't hear, we know they hear. The, the voice created these sound waves and it went through time and it hit their ear and, they, and it like reg, registered, they, they got it. They just didn't pay attention to it. They didn't listen. They didn't respond appropriately. Men, you've heard this, right? Your wife has said something to you and then, then a response was expected and it could have been a verbal response back, like in a, like in a real-life communication and conversation, all right? Like so, so maybe that was the appropriate response. Maybe, maybe her words were instructions, and she accepted, expected you to do something with those instructions, and then you didn't do it, and then your wife says to you, you aren't listening to me, right? It's not a matter of hearing. It's a matter of listening. And it's the same with God. When we go through this series and we want to talk about how to do life with God, and what it's like to hear from God. The reality is that he's, it's not that he's quiet necessarily. It's not that he refuses to talk. The issue is that we just aren't listening. And it goes back to that James chapter 1 passage that we read earlier. James is the brother of Jesus. He's writing to other fellow believers. These are people who've accepted Jesus and they've bought into who he is. They believe in him, right? And then he says this, don't fool yourselves into thinking that you are the listener, that you're a listener, when you are anything but Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. This is, this is like scripture. This is God's word. This is God's communication to us. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're actually a listener of God when his words just kind of hit one ear and they go straight out the other. What does a non-listener look like? It's someone who hears but doesn't pay attention. It's someone who hears but doesn't respond appropriately. It looks like someone who ignores the words that God has given you. And so he says, act on what you hear. Listening means appropriate response. When you hear it, you act appropriately. And then he goes on. He says, those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror. They walk away. Two minutes later, they have no idea who they are, what they look like. It's like Dory from Finding Nemo, right? So that, that's, what, that's what it looks like. Those who don't hear, that this, is what it, this is what it looks like. It's, it's foolishness. It's that word folly again. Those who don't listen to God are fools, especially when it's people who've claimed to have a relationship with God. And then he finishes with this. James says this. He says, anytime or anyone who sets himself up as religious and they talk a good game, they're just self-deceived. He said, this kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. That we talk this up, we act as if we care deeply about our God, and yet we don't let his words infiltrate our life. We don't respond with an appropriate response. We don't have any sort of action to back up what he's communicated, and it's self-deceiving. It's, it's how we pat ourselves on the back without actually accomplishing anything. It's a bunch of hot air. So what if you don't want to listen to God? 
If within you, if you look within and you see that you don't really want to listen to God, you have no desire to listen to God, and we're doing a sermon series on how to listen and hear God and to live with God, and so how can you avoid it? The most, the most promising way, the best way that you can feel confident that God isn't going to speak to you is if you make sure you don't ever spend any time in his word, that you don't ever look in scripture, that you don't ever read the Bible. And likewise, I mean, the opposite of that would be that if you do want to hear God's voice, if there's anything within you that's curious about what the God of the universe, who's created all these things that we see and that we live within, that this God who's made it all, if, if there's any chance that he's wanted to talk to us, that he's wanted to communicate to us, if there's any curiosity within you that wants to know who God is or what he's about, then you should be connected to God's word. Why is it that we look everywhere else. You ever thought about that? We want God to just speak to us directly, as terrifying as that would be. We fool ourselves thinking that would just be easier. I want God to speak to me, you know, straight up, or, or God, I want you to come to me in a dream. God, I want you to reveal yourself in some other way. We want every other way possible, and we ignore the word of God where he's communicated very clearly to us. It's right there in front of us. It's so easily available to us, and we blow it off like it's second rate. The reality is the foundation. In fact, all the other ways that God could or will speak to us are measured against his word. It comes back to scripture. In fact, as we go through this series, we're going to talk about lots of different ways that God speaks to us. And every single week, we're going to keep coming back to scripture. We're going to keep coming back to it because that's the measuring stick. That's how we can really see, uh, be able to test and see whether or not he's really actually speaking to us because the surest way that we have the surest way we have of knowing what God wants, and that is of us, what he wants of us, what he wants for us, what he wants from us, the surest way we have of knowing what God wants is in examining the words he's made available to us. If you want to listen to God, the surest way you can do it is to step into his word. Now, there's a chance, probably a really good chance, there's some of you in this room right now who question whether or not the Bible really is actually God's word. Okay? And that's a big question, and I would love to talk about it. I don't have time, but it's too important to just blow off, all right? And so if that's where you're at, if, if you're struggling with that question, in fact, if, you know, for those of you in the room, this isn't necessarily to you, but if you're watching this online, if you're watching this sometime after the moment that I'm actually saying these things, and you're curious as to whether or not you can actually believe that the Bible is actually God's Word, I want you to hit pause, and I want you to go to our YouTube channel. I want you to scroll down in our videos, not very far. Go to October 30th, 2022, less than a year ago. Doc preached a sermon specifically on that subject of why it is that we can look at the Bible and we can believe that it is God's word. We'll talk more about it even on Wednesday night, if that's a big question for you again. However, I don't have time to get into that today. We're going to move forward from the rest of this time with the assumption that the Bible is God's word that he's given to us. And I want you to recognize that it isn't second rate. It's not substandard. The idea that God would give us something in written form isn't a lesser version of communication. In fact, intuitively, we know that when you get something in, in word, if we get it in, in written form, if we have something wrote down, it means more, doesn't it? There's power behind that. There's a significant power in the written word. It's why we care deeply about legal documents. And signing our names to things, right, is a different level of accountability. You've maybe seen this within your own family. 
Maybe you've seen this in the families uh, of your friends whenever there's like a last will and testament. You've probably seen the good and the bad side of this. You've seen the person who verbally communicated what they wanted done after their passing and how to handle their estate, but they never had it written down. And then after their death, you see a family split apart arguing over how to work through the estate, right? Having it in writing didn't make it lesser. It actually made it more valid. It makes it more strong. It makes it more significant. It brings clarity. That's what written word does. And when we receive something in writing, it means something special to us. Years ago for Mother's Day, I bought my mom a, uh, a Mother's Day card that was in Spanish. I don't know Spanish, and my mom doesn't know Spanish, all right? But I bought her this card, and at the bottom of the card, I just very simply wrote, the English language can't communicate to you how I feel about you as my mother. Love, Ben. And I thought it was clever. I thought it was funny. I thought it would be the kind of thing that she would keep the rest of her life. Turns out it has zero value if you can't read it, right? Like it didn't mean anything to her. And she, she called me an idiot, all right? Like that's how it played out. And I'd like to disagree with her, but she has some strong valid points, okay? If the written word doesn't have clarity, if it doesn't bring clarity, then it loses its value. But that's the power of the written word is it does bring clarity. Years ago when, when Christine and I were first dating, We'd been dating a couple months, and over the course of the summer, I ended up traveling a lot for a job that I had. I was gone for weeks at a time all over the country. And the night before I went off on my first trip, we were hanging out, and she says, hey, I, I put a gift for you in your, in your uh, suitcase, but you're not allowed to, like, do anything with it, look at it. There's instructions for it. Uh, just wait until tomorrow and then go from there. And so the next morning, like, I woke up anxious, like, what is this gift that she's gotten me? And I opened it up, and I found a stack of envelopes, each with a different date on them for the next, like, three and a half weeks, okay? And each of them, this is really cool, right? She had these, she wrote me letters, one for every day, for all these weeks. And we were still kind of new in our relationship, and I start reading through them uh, appropriately, one a day, all right? And I start reading through them, and, and she's speaking things about who she is and she's encouraging me and what it is that she loves about me she's putting scripture into it and there's prayers in there as well and just all these powerful things these are these are valuable letters that weren't exactly what I thought they'd be all right but I is something that was good that we still have we've kept these as a significant memento of, of, of our relationship right and over the course of the summer, this is like pre-smartphones, all that kind of stuff. And so I would, I'd had to go find like a real computer to send her emails back, right? It's like pre-texting world, okay? And so I would, from time to time, send her letters back. And it was really kind of cool. And then at the end of the summer, I broke up with her. Now, that's a whole <laughs> other story that we don't have time for today, okay? But several days after breaking up with her, we're back together and we're trying to kind of work through where we were at, thinking through the, our relationship and whatnot. And one of the things we did was we visited the written words. We went back and we saw the things that we'd written to one another and they had a powerful meaning to us. They reminded us of the things we thought and the things that we felt. And it was a powerful thing that brought us back together. You know this. You know that a letter from your child means more than just about anything else in the world, doesn't it? I've got one hanging on my wall in my office. In my bedroom uh, with my wife, we have uh, hung up on the wall, framed, matted, set up with a nice little background. It's really pretty. We have the manuscript from our wedding that I made several years ago for her. It didn't mean as much to her as it did to me, <laughs> but it's powerful. 
the written words, the things that we've communicated are powerful. And we have God's written words. We have them. These are the most important things that he wanted us to know. We have it, and we have it in writing. And the surest way that we have of knowing what God wants, what he wants of us, and what he wants for us, and what he wants from us, is when we examine the words that he's already made available to us. It's absolutely key and foundational. And there's, again, lots of other ways that God speaks to us, but they always come back to this. It always comes back to what his word says because he will never lead you now in a way that he hasn't communicated in scripture in the past. His leading is never going to contradict scripture. In fact, if you feel like God is leading you in some some special significant way, you feel like he's calling you to do something or, or whatever it may be, and you look into scripture and you find where it would contradict with what God has already communicated, then you need to know that what you're feeling, what you are trying to understand as God leading you is probably not God because he's not going to violate his own word. When we look into scripture, we see or we have a revelation of God's ways and his purposes and his heart. And it's that verse we read earlier from Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. It illuminates, it makes things more clear. God's word makes things in our world more clear, more understandable. And you look into the New Testament. And you don't have to just read the words in theory and thought, but you see them played out practically in the name of Jesus. God himself coming to this world and showing us what it looks like, not just to hear words, but to listen to them, to obey them, to do them. And we look through the New Testament and we see his followers who do the same kind of thing. We have the written word that expresses God's mind and heart. We see Jesus speaking and living and showing us in real words what it is to see the word of God. And then we have this spirit, the same spirit that we see working from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, the same spirit that moves Jesus and directs him, the same spirit that causes the New Testament writers to begin writing down what it looks like to be a church and how to live after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And the same spirit who's working and acting in these powerful, incredible ways is the same spirit that comes into us and communicates to you. And so there ought to be unity between what we believe God is speaking to us in the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful. It goes on, it says it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. But it's all God-breathed. God's never going to lead us in a way that contradicts his word. Not only that, but whenever we get into God's word, we're going to find a little bit of conflict. Not within his word itself, but within us. Because when you read and you see what God thinks and what he feels and what he wants, you're going to find that it doesn't always match what we think and what we feel and what we want. There's going to be some conflict. There's going to be a temptation to maybe turn on Scripture, to push it away, or to suggest that something's wrong with it. Romans 12, Paul addresses this very thing. He says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Whenever there's conflict, whenever I come up against Scripture and it doesn't fit what I want, Paul says, no, don't conform to the pattern that you're bringing into the word, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind needs to shift. I need to change to match where God is at. I need to shift. And then I like this. Paul says, if you do that, then you're going to be able to test. 
and you're going to be able to approve what God's will is, his good and his pleasing and his perfect will. If you want to know what God would speak to you, if you want to know how God would lead you in this world, if you plug into his scripture, if you begin reading his words, and whenever it comes up in contradiction to you, instead of pushing away from the Bible, instead you work on transforming your mind to better understand who God is and what he wants from you, you're actually going to become a great uh, apologist for his will. You're going to understand what he's calling you to do because you're getting in line with him. That's the power of his scriptures. That's the power of his words. When we engage in it, it has the ability to change how we view things. And it matters how you view scripture. It matters whether you see yourself as being above it or below it. That's one of the ways that we get it wrong. Sometimes we act as if we're an authority over scripture. It's dangerous. We need to see God's word held up in authority. There's other ways that we get this wrong too, right? There's this time in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is talking to some people and he tells them this. He says, you're in error because you do not know the scriptures of the power of God. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures of the power of God. What's fascinating is that Jesus says this to professional religious people. They did know the scriptures. They knew it. They had it memorized. They knew it well. What Jesus was saying to them was that you hear it, but you don't do it. You're not listening. It's hitting your ears, but it's not resonating. In fact, in another place, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs because they looked really pretty on the outside, but inside they were full of death. Does that make sense? They've got God's word. It hits the ears. It doesn't penetrate the heart. It doesn't create any change. One of the ways that we really mess up God's word is that we only hear it and we don't ever do it. It's the same thing we saw in James earlier. There's another way. There's a guy named John Wesley, a preacher of old. He writes it this way. Or he, he, what he says is that we often want to see the ends without the means. We want to get the results without the work necessary to get the results. And so he says we expect knowledge, but we do it without searching the scriptures. We don't consult with the people of God. We want God to speak to us. We want to understand what God's doing and what he's up to, but we don't want to go to the place where we know we can find his plans. And we don't talk to the people who know his plans. He says we expect spiritual strength without constant prayer and steady watchfulness. Or we expect God to be blessing us without hearing the word of God at every opportunity. We want all these things from God without us actually like leaning even towards him. We want to just know the things of God, but we don't want to study it. We want to have the strength that comes from, from God himself, but we don't want to actually seek it out in prayer or, or searching him out. We want God to just bless us, but we don't want to give up any of our time to go bless him. Some of the ways that we mess up reading the word. There's lots of other ways too, guys. I mean, that we could do this all day. There's lots of ways people dishonor the word of God. They talk about it like maybe it's myths and fairy tales. Some people speak of scripture uh, and dishonor it by saying that they accept it, but only whenever they agree with it. That's dishonoring. You know what the most frequent way is that we dishonor the word of God? It's done by Jesus followers. It's not by dissenters. It's by Jesus followers who don't take the time or effort to know what's in it. Have no interest in actually reading it or knowing what God would have to say. Do you understand that there's any part of you, if there's anything within you that at all desires to know who God is and what he would speak to us? If, if you've ever wondered, if I could sit down with God and have a conversation, I wonder what he would want to tell me. It's his word, guys. The surest way 
The surest way we have of knowing what God wants of us and for us and from us is when we examine the words that he's already made available to us. So where to start? If, if this is a big challenge for you, the idea of you actually beginning to read God's word, trying to know who he is, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple tips real quick. And if you're already in some situation where you're already studying the Bible somewhat, this will help you kind of even take it a little bit further. The first thing you need to do is you need to find a good translation that you can understand. Find the Word of God written in a way that you talk, all right? And so I'm, like, we're living in Kentucky. I don't know anyone who speaks like how the King James Version speaks, all right? And so that's probably not the version for you, okay? Now, personally, I like the NIV. I love the message. It's a very contemporary kind of summation of Scripture in a lot of places. It's not a great literal translation, but it's a good writing in our language. The NLT is good. There's several others. Find the one that makes sense to you. Number two, read a little bit every day. Just read a little bit. Maybe that's a verse. Maybe you're starting out. Just start with a verse. Read a verse. Read, uh, read a chapter. Read If you're already doing that, maybe find a couple different places where you can read some chapters. And number three, find a guide. All Scripture is God-breathed. We read that earlier. Not all Scripture is equally useful. And that's somewhat controversial to say, all right? But there are some places in the Bible that if you are not a Bible reader and you want to start out, there are some places in the Bible that if you just jumped in and started reading, it would potentially, like, mess you up. Like, it'd be confusing. It wouldn't make sense. You wouldn't understand the context. It's, like, there's strange stories, okay? There are right places to start and wrong places to start, okay? Uh, and, and so just because it's all God breathed doesn't mean it's all equally useful. And so you need to find a guide. If you're brand new to Jesus, if you're brand new to the idea of even there being a God, I'd encourage you to read the Gospel of John. It's the third book in the New Testament. Uh, the fourth book, I'm sorry, the fourth book in the New Testament. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. It's in your table of contents. Look it up. All right. There we go. Thank you, Shakur. Find a guide. I would encourage you to start there. It's a great it's a great writing just of who Jesus is, what he taught, how he lived, all those good things. Uh, download the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. It's free. It's simple. It has devotions. It has reading plans. It has tons of information, easy for you to follow and, and go along. It's a great resource. Find a guide. Find something that can help lead you into Scripture and introduce you into what it is. And if you're new, if you're within that group at the beginning that wonders whether or not this is even the Word of God, if you're questioning that level, if you're new to church and you want to know more, but you're not really sure what to do, just start. Try it. I dare you to investigate it. I dare you to start reading it, and I dare you to try it. I dare you to actually do what it says. The book of James that we've quoted a couple times is a great book to start out in because it's all just very practical living in the name of Jesus. I dare you to try it. Maybe, maybe you're a Jesus follower, but you haven't been serious about the word of God. Why not? What's keeping you from wanting to know what your God would have to say to you? What's keeping you from being led by God? What's holding you back? I want to challenge you to just take some very practical steps this week. What can you do to get more serious about God's word? Why don't you pray with me? God, I am so grateful that your grace extends past our ability to listen. God, I'm grateful that even as we struggle in hearing to actually doing, 
that you're patient. You communicate to us over and over again. God, I pray that we would take seriously your word, that we would look into your word, into the words that you've given us, and we would see them as the, for having the great value that they do, God, that you have chosen to communicate to us, to reveal yourself to us, and to call us to something bigger than ourselves. And so, God, give us, give us a desire. Put it within us. Give us a curiosity that would cause us to examine your word. God, you're good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
work of Jesus Christ on a cross. He died for this world, but he also just died for me. He died for me, and I, I can't live this life without him. I've tried, and I failed miserably. My life with you is only possible because of Jesus Christ. And every day, Father, I want to give back to you. Every day, the sacrifice who I am to try to be like Jesus. Thank you so much for his example. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Here in a few moments, if you want to sit, you can. But we're going to come over to the tables in just a few moments. And when we do, we're going to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done on a cross. So if you want to think about his sacrifice and you want to think about his blood and his body that were given to us, that's what you want to be focused on when you go to the tables. If this is your home and you want to give an offering. You want to give something, the first fruit, something that God has given to you. And you want to give that. That's what the boxes at each of the stations are designed to be for you, okay? If you got something outside of that offering that you want to give out more beyond that first fruit, we have the generous buckets to go to people in our need in this community. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments a little bit more, but it's pretty awesome what we can do to help people who are out in this uh, community who are in need. So let's be thinking about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice as we go to the tables right now.
Uh, do you believe that that stuff can be done in Jesus' name? Amen. You can sit if you want. I won't keep you long, I promise. But uh, I know God's got some great stuff he's planning to do in and through you this week in his name. And I hope that you will rely on that name and watch what he can do. And one of the things we wanted to share with you as you leave this morning, you hear us talk about our generous buckets uh, each week. And uh, we just wanted to let you know what we're able to do because of that. Uh, you know, we ask you if you've got an extra dollar or two, you want to put that in the generous bucket, feel free to do so. And we're going to use that to maybe bless somebody here in our church family, bless somebody in our community, maybe even bless an organization uh, here within our community or across the state. And we were able to do that this week on two different occasions. Uh, some of you are familiar with Crossroads Missions. Uh, that's the group that we've done the Help Build Hope where we built the walls out back here that we've then sent down to Dawson Springs. Uh, we've been to Dawson Springs twice, spent, spent some time down there helping build homes for those that were impacted by the tornadoes a couple years ago. We've also done some support through uh, Eastern Kentucky and flood relief down there. And so this week, we were able to send a check to Crossroads Missions for a project that they're doing in Floyd County of $8,000 because of what you guys help us with through our generous bucket ministry. And then also this week, uh, you might have seen on Facebook, uh, I think Robin Kemper had posted it, uh, our, our men's shelter and soup kitchen had found themselves in a, in a tight spot uh, financially. Uh, this is sort of a tough time of the year for them, that sort of August, uh, October before they hit the year end with some fundraisers. But again, because of your generosity through our generous bucket, we were able to give a $10,000 check to our soup kitchen this month. So we just wanted you, we just wanted to let you guys know that, uh, that the funds that you give, how they're being used, and God's doing some great stuff in them. And again, I know he's got something in store for you this week. I don't know what that's going to be. Uh, but he's going to put somebody on your, on your heart, on your mind, for you to invite to come and be a part of our weekend of welcome this coming weekend. And I hope that you'll do that. Our band's going to play one more song. You can feel free to stick around and worship with them, or you can slide on out. But a great day of worship with you, and we hope to see you next Sunday.
Believe it, go live it. Believe it, go 